Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. All right, if you got your Bibles, this morning our scripture reading, I'm going to be in several places uh, this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 20, I'm going to read out of Genesis 6, Matthew 18. I started a uh, series last week uh, called Ask It, where we let you submit questions, and I try my best to uh, answer those, uh, any questions you have about the Bible, its origin, doctrines, practices, our faith, discipleship, problems you may be going through, questions about church relationships, our culture, trends, politics, media, social justice. No question is off limits. So uh, there is a uh, ask it card on the card pocket in front of you. You can email it to the office or email it to me if you'd like. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. So uh, last week the questions that we uh, tried to answer last week uh, were, do you believe in UFOs and are there other creations of God out there? Uh, Should Christians have wealth? The scripture said Jesus had no place to lay his head. Uh, And can Christians be depressed? And is suicide, in your opinion, an automatic sentence to eternal damnation? So we covered that. Uh, We covered that last week. So uh, it's all online, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, if you you missed that. All right, so let's do some questions this morning. Question number one, what do you think about things like the Holy Grail, the Shroud of Turin, and other historical religious artifacts. So I'm going to answer this kind of really quickly. So when we talk about things like that, historical relics from the time of Christ, uh, there's usually four four big ones that come to mind. Number one is the Holy Grail. You may be familiar with that. It is the cup supposedly that Jesus used at the um, you know at the uh, 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 Last Supper. Or if you're a movie fan, did you see it on Indiana Jones? That's where I learned about the Holy Grail, okay? I was doing, that was part of my devotions when I was younger. So, uh, so there's the Holy Grail. Uh, probably the most common one is the Shroud of Turin. You, some of you may be familiar, familiar with that. It was purported to be the burial garment of Jesus in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. It has been in Turin, Italy, in the San Giovanni uh, 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 cathedral in Turin, Italy, since the mid 1500s. It's supposedly double wrapped and it portrays two faint brownish images front and back. The images contain uh, markings that correspond with crucifixion wounds. So that's another one of those. Uh, the crown of thorns uh, in, is in Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. France and man there was great fighting over this during the the French Revolution and the Nazis when they were in uh, Paris they were you know they were searching for uh, the crown of thorns and then also uh, in the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem parts of the manger that Jesus was born in please uh, believe to be a fragment of the manger where Jesus was laid uh, after his birth in Bethlehem. So the question was, do you believe in the Holy Grail, Shroud of Turin, and other historical uh, relics? So you may be surprised at my answer, but no. I don't believe they are real, and I don't give any spiritual uh, credibility to them for several reasons. Number one, I don't think people had the presence of mind when those events were happening you know, to grab kind of certain things to preserve for history, okay? When those things were happening, I'm not, I don't think people were thinking long-term history. It was shocking moments, so I don't think, I don't think for that reason, I don't think it's hardly possible to preserve those kind of things for over 2,000 years. You're talking about sheets and wood and a, and a humid, you know, uh, Mediterranean climate, so that's another reason why I doubt it. And then, also, a lot of these things, 
have no historical record, you know, like from the time they occurred until like the medieval times. Then all of a sudden, the medieval times, they started popping up, okay, and a little bit, a little bit later. So there's no kind of record of where they were up until about the 13 or 1400s. So, you know, then all of a sudden they started occurring. Uh, also, I think, too, that, you know, certain religious organizations use things like this to prove some kind of authenticity of their particular belief or some type of, some type of supremacy to their particular message as well. So, no, I don't, I don't really believe in it. It was a great movie, let me tell you that. It was a great movie, but I really don't believe in those things. I don't think that they're real, to be honest. No, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think they're I don't think they're necessarily real. So, you know, uh, some people, they use those kind of things to really give support, you know, to their faith. But I, I just want to say, you know, our faith rests on things that are much more firm than that. Okay? All right? So, like, my faith, my faith rests on God's Word. All right? It is God-breathed and God-inspired but part of this word tells me that my walk is a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith, something that I can't see, touch. It's a, it's a, it's a belief. So my faith is rooted in God's word. My faith is rooted in the person of Jesus. His virgin birth, his sinless life, his miracles, his substitutionary death upon the cross, his resurrection from the dead. Man, I believe wholeheartedly in the person of Jesus. So my faith is grounded in things firmer than historical relics. It's in God's Word. It's in the person of Jesus. And, and let me tell you something else that roots my faith as well. It's the testimony of other people. I've been around the church a long time. I know what Jesus did in my heart. And I have been in the ministry a long time, and I've seen up close the testimony of those that have been changed and transformed by Jesus. And they are an encouragement to me, but it's also, it's also a living proof to me. So let me just say, I don't need historical relics to buttress my faith. I don't need biblical archaeology. And there's some interesting things happening there, but I don't need biblical archaeology as a, as a buttress to my faith. I want to tell you, I am doing well with believing God's Word, believing in the person of Jesus, watching the testimony of others. Romans says, the just shall live by faith. Ephesians says, for by grace through faith that we are saved. Second Corinthians says, we walk by faith and not by sight. And let me tell you, the walk of faith is just good enough for me, okay? All right. All right. So if you're mad about the Shroud of Turin, I'll be out in the lobby later on. So, all right. Second question. <clears throat> it's a little more difficult. In the Old Testament, there is so much war and death. Men, women, and children. I understand sometimes it is sanctioned and sometimes it's not. I'm feeling down about how much killing is done. Now, this is a great question, okay? A great question. It came in on a card, so it was someone that was here, and they don't sign their name. You don't have to sign your name. You don't, you don't, have, you don't have to do that. But I'm assuming it comes from a caring believer who sees the full picture of God and His love, but yet... When you read selected portions of the Old Testament, man, there's some things that can make you a little queasy. So here's a person who's trying to reconcile all that they know about God with some chapters in the Old Testament that seem out of character for God. So I appreciate that question. I think it's a great question. It doesn't just come like from people like you, but also it is a question that come from the outs people outside of the church who were doubters and skeptics and critical of the church. So in my response, I'm going to answer the antagonist, maybe not the person here. So just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to mention that to you. So, you know, you're on your porch and you're, and you got your worship music going and you're worshiping God. It's your devotional time. 
Man, you're having a good time with the Lord. Okay, you've worshipped, you've prayed, and now it's time for your scripture reading. And you're reading in Deuteronomy, and it's you just open the Bible as you're reading through, and here's what you read. Deuteronomy 20, 20 16. However, in the cities of the nation, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave anything alive, do not leave anything alive that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. I practiced on that sentence all day yesterday, all right? As the Lord your God has commanded you to do. Otherwise, they'll teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their God, and you will sin against your Lord and your God, all right? You read things like that, and you're like, wow, wow. We were, our, our staff, we do a scripture reading, and we go through different books, and we were reading, uh, last year, we were reading Judges. And man, we started reading through Judges. Man, there's some, man, there's some really tough passages in there about, you know, battles and wars and things that they were going through, and we, we paused several times just to, to note some of those passages as we were going through it. So, let me just say, uh, as part of this series, we don't hide from hard questions, okay? We're not going to hide from hard questions, okay? I'd rather have an easy question. Let me just say that to you, all right? Uh, but we're not going to hide from hard questions, so I think it's a great question. So, as we're considering violence of the Old Testament, is it inconsistent to the God that we know? Does it invalidate every other part of our faith because of those passages? Here, here, here's some things that I, that I want you to consider. Number one, Jesus is the main focus of Scripture, okay? Hebrews 12 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The entirety of Scripture points to Jesus. He is our centerpiece. He is our cornerstone. He, he is, you know, He is the main focus and topic woven through the Old Testament uh, to the New Testament. So when I identify myself to other people, I don't go, well, I'm an Old Testamenter, okay? I don't get my identity from the Old Testament. I say I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. He is the central theme of Scripture so yes, we're going to talk about the Old Testament in a moment, but I want to draw a bigger picture here that the focus for believers is not, are not those things, it is the person of Jesus. What does he say about enemies and violence? Love your enemies, pray for those that use you, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, turn the other cheek. He told Peter, drop your sword. He said, my kingdom is not of this world, otherwise my servants would fight. So when you read the teachings of the main character of the book, we can understand that he is not gathering an army for military conquest or overthrow. We can see that from his teachings. And he had every opportunity to do it as well. Jesus is nonviolent in every way. Okay? Unless it's Passover week and he walks through the temple and you're selling some things you shouldn't be selling. Now you can irritate him that way. I'll just say that. All right? But, but we, don't, we don't draw our faith from the Old Testament. Okay, it is part of God's word. We'll talk about that. But Jesus is the one that we follow. Okay, something else. To understand God's nature, one must consider the entirety of Scripture. I mean, you can pull out of whatever you want to pull out of, but when you read the entirety of Scripture and you see the full, the fullness of God's character in nature, you know, it can it can make you think about this question in a different way. So let's. Let's just look really quick. What do we know about God throughout the Scripture? Well, His character and His nature are revealed in creation. I mean, He's a loving God. He's a good, he's a good God. He created mountains and lakes and fish and hunting and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what a one, you know, you can just see wonderful parts of His heart through, through creation. And it's not too far, Genesis 4, that somebody dies. 
And he's broken about that. And he punishes Cain because of, of his violence. It's not long after that in Genesis 6. Genesis 6 that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and the inclination of thoughts of the thoughts of the human heart were only on evil all the time. They were violent. It, 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 God was sad at how violent the world was becoming. He was, he was not happy. That's not God's intention. He makes an ark. He gives everybody an open invitation to come. And then even after the ark, when they landed on dry ground, the first thing that he says is to humans, you were made in my image. Do not kill. Do not kill each other. We can see him through Exodus. Thou shalt not kill. I mean, in, in every way. We look at John. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. We can fast forward to heaven. There is no violence in heaven. The lion lays down with the lamb. So, there, there are passages in the Old Testament that we'll talk about, but, but who wants to kind of be judged? You ever had a bad day? You know, you ever did something that you're like, man, you know, like, I wouldn't want my whole life characterized by that. Well, it's the same kind of, the same kind of thing. We, you'll get the, the full understanding of God's character and nature when you read through the Bible, just not selected passion, uh, passages. So let's look at the violence in the Old Testament, okay? God does not get up in the morning in a bad mood out to destroy people. That is not his character, or his nature. But I want to give you two words, okay? Wrath and justice. Wrath and justice. So when we think of God being angry, we think, man, that's above God. That's just, you know, God shouldn't feel that way. You know, that's, that's not, you know, God is love, so he should not be feeling, you know, feeling wrath at all, okay? All right, so let me give you an illustration. All right, so you leave church today, and man, you're singing Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness, you're singing that song. You're walking down the aisle. You got your children. And somebody comes up and slaps your child. Okay? All right? So what happens? We know what happens. Over the intercom, security, there's an altercation in women's clothing. Please hurry, please hurry. Now why? Because wrath is connected to love. Wrath is connected to love, all right? You're not, a, you're, you're not an angry person, but when something happens to something that you love, all of a sudden something stirs up, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, kind of in your heart. So how is God supposed to, you know, react to this kind of thing? So we see God's wrath, but it's connected to the fact that He loved humanity and there are abusers, out there of others. And then also the word justice. Justice, administering of deserved punishment or reward. So God's got his law, God's got his moral law, and God and justice here that we understand here is when there's a violation of the law, then there must be, you know, a, a compensatory action on the on the other end. Now so let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. You know, the, the question was about the, the violence in the Old Testament, all right? What would we think about God who felt no anger at violence or shrugged his shoulder at injustice? If people go, man, look, he's angry, he's upset, he's just out to punish, okay? Well, then what would you say if he did nothing at wrath? If he just shrugged his shoulders at acts of injustice, what would you say about that? Now let's let's look specifically at some of the Old Testament violence that in some of those battles and, and wars. Now let me just set this up. There are very few chapters when you look at the whole Bible, there are very few chapters that talk about this. Now there are some. There are some, and we're gonna we're gonna look at those. But I want you to know, I, I don't want you to judge based on the society that you know now. I want you to go back about 3,000 years, okay? All right, so I don't have a better illustration except Braveheart, okay? I don't have any better illustration. So it's kind of like that. There are roving clans. There are families. There's brutality and violence 
And that's just the order of the day. I mean, that just didn't affect Israel. That's what was happening all over. There weren't, there weren't laws. There weren't borders and boundaries. I mean, it was kind of chaotic, you know, like, like that. So I just want you to keep in mind. So let's, let's look specifically at some of, of some of these battles and wars. Number one, there were defensive wars that Israel fought. Defending one's territory a forced battle launched in response to an attack from an, from an opponent. Now, you know, in the military, like when somebody attacks you, you don't just defend the attack and just sit there. You go back after them. And sometimes, you know, you, you're, you're going, you know, and in the Old Testament, that's what happened. There were many battles that were defensive battles, but Israel finished the defensive battle. And sometimes there was some brutality, you know, that was associated with that, but it was not something necessarily that they started. And I'll say also, all battles from Joshua on were defensive battles. Okay, so you see a lot of that, but a lot of those were defensive self-defense kind of things. So that's one thing, defensive battles. The other, it was God's judgment on the wickedness of others. Go read Deuteronomy 9 and Deuteronomy 12 about the Canaanites. Sometimes we see brutality associated with that, but we don't even understand Sometimes what was going on? It would be like if someone looked at World War II and just went, man, the world, what were they doing to Germany? I mean, man, you guys bombing Dresden, what was going on? That would be a person that would not understand the context of the battle, that there, there were Nazis and there was forced occupation and what was going on with the Jews. So you could look at World War II and go, man, what was going on there? I think some of that occurs because we don't have the full understanding of the Canaanites and the Philistines and the, the godlessness that was going on there. But God holds people accountable you know, for, their, for their crimes. Places like Jericho. Jericho, AI, you know, there, there was a judgment that came against them, but God also gave them opportunity to repent and, you know, not to have that, that particular, not to have that particular battle. So, in the sense of justice, what's God supposed to do? Would you feel better? Would someone feel better by the God that said, you know, just let it go? They're burning their own children, the Canaanites. They're sacrificing them to their God, their little infants, putting them in the fire. That's just up to them. Self-determination, would we feel better about, about, you know, about that? But I just say to you, I, everything I know about God, and that He is good, it is not His nature to destroy, it is His nature to create and redeem, okay? And there are tough times in there, but when the world was turning toward evil, God had to bring His justice in there and, and you know, to try to, to try to keep evil from overtaking the world, okay? So... So there were defensive battles, there were, there were acts where uh, the, the people of Israel, you know, were, uh, you know, being God's hand of justice. And then there were, there were times that Israel acted on their own without God's specific commands. So I told you we were reading through Judges and we were like, wow, there were some brutal things. But when we got through with Judges, we realized, hey, there weren't very godly people that were those Judges anyway. I mean, Samson, some of those people. So when you look at judges, you see people, you know, who were leading Israel, but they weren't necessarily godly, godly people. When you look at Israel, you'll go, man, that is, boy, the, the, you know, it was just, it was terrible for the nation of Israel. So here, look at this passage. Sometimes they just went on their own. Judges 21, the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions, go to Jabesh Gilead, put the sword to those living there, including women and children, this is what you're what, supposed to do. They said, kill every male woman who is not a virgin. Okay, so they went and, but that was not a command from the Lord. That was not instructed from the Lord. Sometimes the people of Israel just did things on their own and it's recounted and pointed back to the Lord. But especially in the context of Judges, man, there was lots of violence that, that occurred there that wasn't, that wasn't sanctioned, you know, it wasn't sanctioned from you know, from the Lord. So there, you know, so I just want to, I, I want to say those things, you know, like we would, we would go, hey, that, that wasn't God. We've seen that in our own history as well, where people just did things they said was in the name of God. The Spanish Inquisition, look at our history, all right? The Crusades, all right? The beginnings of colonialism, 
the, even in our own country, Manifest Destiny, they all kind of had these kind of undercurring undercurrents of, of religiosity and we're, we're making conquest in the name of God, but they're brutalizing people and that wasn't God. You know, that, that wasn't God. So sometimes, sometimes they just went on their own, even though they're Israel, okay, it wasn't necessarily sanctioned by God. So just closing thought here, listen to me. Sometimes people who are critical of violence in the Old Testament are silent when it comes to things like abortion. You ever notice that? All this violence, all this violence, yet they don't say anything about modern day slaughter at all. Okay, just kind of a, something I've noticed over, over the years. So listen to me. The Great Commission. Let's go back to what we know about God. The Great Commission. Go into all the world. Is not, a, is not an invitation to military conquest. It is that God wants to redeem all of mankind. And there are no exceptions to that. Every race, every tribe, every tongue, all are God's children and all have an invitation, you know, all have an invitation at the cross. So when you think about God... Yeah, then there's some, there's some tough sections in the Old Testament. Some of it's reflective of the time. I've explained, you know, uh, some of that. But I want you to know, and I mean, I'm just, I, I've, I've read through those passages, but I've read through it all as well. And I know that God is good. His, his favor wants to rest upon you. He wants to save every man and woman and bring them into fellowship with Him. He wants to bless and favor their life. You know, that's the God that we know and the God that we serve. So my frame of reference is that of the person of Jesus and He is who I follow. We don't hide. God's Word is God's Word. And we don't hide from what's in the Old Testament. But there are some kind of answers sometimes to the to the to the question of violence, so um, so I hope that hope that answered your uh, question or give give you something to think about. Last question this morning: How do you deal with unforgiveness, even though I pray to forgive? How do you deal with unforgiveness, <clears throat> even though you pray to forgive? So here's a question that comes from a person that knows they need to forgive. And it sounds like they've tried to walk down this pathway, but they are having a little trouble when it comes just to, you know, just to the release and, and, and letting go. And I think it's a great question. I think it's a really great question. So let me, let me just kind of walk through uh, forgiveness for, for just a moment. So, so some forgiveness is just very easy. There's just a, like a, you know, within our own humanity, there's some things that we should be able to forgive. You know, like, like any time I drive my kid's car, there's no gas in it, okay? There's just no gas. I, I, I'm going to have to call AAA, you know, from my driveway one time. And I just want to say as you get older, anytime they volunteer for you to take their car, that's your sign. Turn them down, okay? Just turn them down. So there's just some things... They're just silly, whatever. And in your own humanity, you just need to forgive and get over it. I still carry bitterness, but, you know, it cost me $40 last week. But I'm working through it. I'm working through it. So, uh, and then there's, there's God forgiveness. There are things that are so traumatic that they can only be forgiven with God's help. Okay? There's sometimes that there's some deep, sorrowful, terrible things that occur in people's lives and in the lives of believers. It could even be a long time, years. But when you hear certain names, there's emotion that still wells up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you think of certain situations, it could be five, ten years, but it still, still kind of boils your blood just a little bit. And, I, and there, there are things that are deep and traumatic and horrible and violent that occur to people that, you know, that it's a God forgiveness. It's beyond our own human capacity to be able to forgive. But let's just talk about forgiveness, and I'm going to answer this question specifically. So just some things you need to know about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice to no longer hold a sin or a transgression against the offender and not to seek any form of revenge or retribution. It's a choice that you make. Okay? It's a choice. 
It comes back to us. God can help. I'll talk about that in a moment. But sometimes people default back to revenge and retribution, okay? And they've got forgiveness on their lips, but in their heart, man, they want punishment and retribution. And forgiveness says, I'm making a choice to give away the claims that I had against this particular you know, individual. And Jesus teaches us to forgive, okay? In the Lord's Prayer, I, I tell you to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. You need to pray it every day, all right? Here's what the Lord's Prayer says. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. So, in the Lord's Prayer that He says to pray regularly, He puts embedded in there that prayer that we are, that we are forgiving others. But, forgiveness seems unfair. Okay, right? They did something to me, and now I just got to let go. So there's, there's a sense of injustice that, that happens when we, think about, when we think about forgiveness. But let me just say, when we forgive, when we forgive, here's what we're saying. I'm taking my hands off of this. There's going to be justice. God is going God is going to take care of them. So forgiveness says, you know, we're just going to let God handle it. We're going to let God handle it. God's going to take care of them. God, God's going to handle it in His own way. I'm just, I'm checking out of this situation. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to think about it anymore. So forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness sets you free. All right, so have you ever done this? Have you ever, you've been angry at someone and you can't get it off your mind, and you're just angry throughout the day. It's just you're replaying it. What I, they said that? Oh my goodness! And you just get angry. I mean, you hadn't seen them in a while, but yet, man, you are stewing with this thing. There is anger, and there is resentment. That's why. Forgiving is important because unforgiveness today becomes tomorrow's bitterness. It controls me long term. This individual that has harmed you at one time in your life, they are still controlling you years later because of an inability to, be, to, to let go. Alright? One man wrote, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Alright? So, we, there's, a, there's a freedom that comes through forgiveness. Forgiving does not condone the offense. Okay? Because you forgive doesn't make it right or change your opinion on what happened, you know, that it was, that it was right. It's injustice. It was wrong. You know, we, we want to make them pay. And let me just say, when we forgive, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right what happened. Again, it's just saying, I'm going to pull back from anger, resentment, retaliation, and retribution, and I'm going to let God handle that, and I'm moving on with my life. Okay? Forgiving doesn't condone the offense. Forgiving doesn't pretend the offense never happened. Okay? God forgave David. Alright? But then there was a price that God made David pay. So it's not like it never happened, okay? So when you, li- when you, when you forgive, God's going to take care of that. And listen to me. God will take care of that. God will take care however He chooses to deal. And let me just say, you don't get an opinion on how God should pay them back. Let me just say that. All right? I know you want to offer suggestions, Lord, I don't want to have a wreck, but an expensive ticket. Boy, that'd let them know. That would let them know. All right? And sometimes offenses happen to believers by believers. Okay? It happens. It happens in the church world. It happens a lot. I mean, we're, we're regular folks like everybody else. But, but Jesus has already made a plan for that. He already knew. He already knew you know, his sons and daughters would get tangled up. So, you know, he's already, he's already made a plan for that. So, if you're, you know, like you're praying and you just can't get, you know, 
said, I'm praying, but I just can't forgive. Here's a couple of things. Number one, pray about it. But if you cannot find peace or resolution, then take the next step. Meet with them. Matthew 18. Sometimes we're trying to do something prayerfully that God doesn't want the healing just in prayer. He wants the restored relationship. Well, you don't like that, do you? We want the single forgiveness so we can move on, okay? But sometimes, especially in the body of Christ, the Lord doesn't want two entities angry with each other. He wants two entities. What, what glorifies Him? It's two, when two entities reconcile there. So, take the next step. Just don't lie and stew in your offense. Be proactive. And let's look at Matthew 18. Because this is a way that He says... For unforgiveness to you know a reconciliation to occur. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Why did he say him? It's the assumptions it's always the guy, right? God knows us, doesn't he? God knows us. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him and work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along. So then in the presence of witnesses, things will be honest and try again. So let's focus on the first part of that. So I'm praying and I, I, I can't kind of get through this. Maybe the next step is not just silent forgiveness, but it's reconciliation and understanding that maybe that God's going to heal that way. So Matthew 18. So here's... Here, here's how we're going to break that out. If you're having trouble unforgiving, one step, he said, is this. So if you've been hurt, here's what he says. Ask for a time to meet and tell them the purpose of the meeting. Okay? Don't surprise them. You know, like you're lurking out in the parking lot after work, hanging out after, you know, on their car. No. Contact them. Hey, we've had some issues, and I would love to get this resolved. Is there a time and place that you and I can meet, okay? It's not fair to surprise them, okay? We, we need to let them know that we're trying to reconcile and find, and find peace. That way they also can be prepared for the conversation as well. So we don't surprise them, okay? We find a neutral place. Your mother's home is probably not the best place for this meeting, so find kind of a neutral, comfortable place for... For everyone, I have a suggestion for you. Write out what you want to say. This will help you to remember what needs to be said as well as focus, clarity, and tone. Okay, Because sometimes when we get in these conversations and you're well-meaning and your emotions get in it, sometimes your words get a little loose and you start to feel a little emotion sometimes. That's just human nature. So my suggestion is to write most of it down or bullet point. That way you can stay, you can stay on point. We're not, we're not here you know, to, to cause a problem. We're here for resolution and, and tone and clarity. That, that's very important in this, particular, uh, in this particular situation. Also, in this meeting, speak the truth, but in love. Okay? The Bible never says to avoid conflict. Never says that. Never says it. Matthew 18, he's going, go meet with them. Go meet with them. So we speak the truth. We don't hide anything, but we cloak it in love. If you go in irritated, I'm going to tell you how this meeting's going to come out. All right? You go in with an attitude, I'm just telling you, you're going to make things worse. Okay? So it says, speak the truth, but do it in love. So honestly and openly, but yet we do it cloaked in Christian character. All right? Uh, now, when you have this meeting, there are three results that can happen. Okay, three results. Number one, reconciliation. And uh, reconciliation, the relationship is healed. Okay, just sometimes people getting together, you know, showing sorrow, showing pain. Sometimes, you know, the, uh, people can reconcile. The words of Jesus is honored. The, the church is blessed the awkwardness and you know is gone maybe it takes a little time to get things turned you know back to normal after that but as we read in Matthew 18 you win back a friend you win back 
So, so we've reconciled, okay? So that's one result. Or the second result, we don't agree on the facts, but we'll treat each other with Christian love and respect, okay? So we may get there, and there's two different versions, and that, that may happen as well, but sometimes it's a victory to go, you know what? We're just going to stop where we're at. You know, we're not going to, we're just going to, as Christians, we're just going to back away from this. We're not going to grind it anymore. And you know what? Even, even in that situation, things can begin to heal at that particular time in, in some way. So you may, not, you may not have the perfect, you know, discussion, but you can walk away going, hey, we're going to agree to disagree, but we're going to do it, you know, in a way that honors the Lord. That's healing as well. And the third result, you know, would be they would not agree to meet or we met and things got worse, okay? Things, things got worse. So reconciliation is best, but sometimes the most difficult part in time of forgiveness is when the relationships are unresolved, okay? You don't have a chance to speak to the person. They won't speak with you. Uh, the meeting, they, w- they wouldn't have it. it. It didn't go, it did not go well. And then now, what do you do now? Okay, now we've got to, we got to deal with this unresolved relationship, but we're not going to let forgiveness and, I mean, unforgiveness and anger dominate our life. So if things remain unresolved, listen to me, then you will need a deep work of God's grace in your heart to forgive because you're doing it alone, okay? And this is going to be something that's going to take some time depending on the severity of what you're going through. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some grace. But I want to tell you, bitterness, living in bitterness and anger is not the answer. It's just not the answer at all. Worship team, you guys you guys can come, all right? We don't want bitterness a part of our life. Listen, a person that is bitter over things that have happened in their past. It affects their personality. It affects their disposition. This unforgiveness and this anger and bitterness just begins to own you. And I want to tell you something. It'll affect your walk with God after a period of time, okay? That anger and that resentment and that bitterness, you know, it just kind of overtakes every part of your life. And you've got to determine you're going to let God work on you. But some people, they just stew in it. They just stew and it's just... It never, you know, it never sees resolution. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like you taking poison but hope it hurts the other person, okay? When we just kind of keep digesting, we keep digesting that, all right? So here's where we got to get really serious about this moment, especially if it's unresolved. You can't meet with the person. It's not possible. So you got to deal with this on your own. It's great when two people come together and you can high five and you can move on, but sometimes we're living we're living with unresolved relationships and we cannot let ourselves be overcome with anger and bitterness. So we start asking God for the grace to forgive, okay? And it becomes number 1 on our prayer list, okay? God, I want to forgive I cannot do this on my own. But if you'll give me grace, the grace to forgive, then Lord, I'll release that. Okay? That's number one on your prayer list every day. And then it might, for some of you, need to be number two on your prayer list. Okay? Just depending on how severe. I'm just saying to you, This is an important part. Being able to release this, it's an important part. So we're asking God for grace to forgive. It's impossible. I cannot do it on my own. But God, if you'll give me grace, I'll do it. And do you know that God can do that? God can extend a forgiving grace that you just release them? Stephen laying there buried in stones, looking in the eye of those that were about to take his life, saw the glory of God. And he said, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. There is a forgiving grace 
that God can get. You can get to this. It may not, it may not be one prayer. You know, maybe a process. Okay, that's one. And then we got to make sure that we deal with anger. Look at this. Colossians 3.8. Look at this. But now you must get rid yourself of all such of these things, such as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Bear with each other. Forgive each other. If any has a grievance against someone, uh, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So he puts some of this responsibility back for anger and malice on that. He said, you, got, you need to get rid of this. You need to open that up. Lord, I'm, I'm dealing with, with these kind of things. Okay? I want to tell you. It's terrible when you walk in unforgiveness. Okay? It's, it's, it has a terrible impact on you when you, it, you have that trouble. And I guess we've all been there. You know? We've all been there. And it's not resolved in a couple weeks. And you find, I, I mean, I've been there. Anybody been up at night? That stuff starts rehearsing in your mind. Can't sleep. Think about it throughout the day. All of a sudden you're angry because it will own you. It will own every part. It will own every part of your life. And I want to tell you, listen to me. There is a forgiving grace that God gives. Okay? There's a forgiving grace that God gives where we can release that into His presence. Listen to me. And we walk whole and healed. It doesn't mean we will forget the incident. That God just takes the incident out of our mind. But the forgiving grace will release this anger and this bitterness and this sense of retaliation and retribution. I'm telling you, it's a work that God can do. So the question was, how do I deal with unforgiveness even when I pray to forgive? We start with reconciliation, if it's at all possible. And if that is not possible, if that's not possible, then we trust in the deep work of forgiving grace. And I want to tell you, if Stephen can get it, you can get it. Read the story of Stephen. If he can get forgiving grace, you can get forgiving grace. So, and I just want to close, and we're going to pray for that in just, you know, in, in just a moment. Maybe, maybe you're here today and, you know, like somebody invited you here. And like one part when we talk about forgiveness of sin in the Lord's prayer was he said, you know, forgive our sins as we forgive other people. And that's a regular part of the Lord's prayer as well. And I want to say, you know, if you're here today, I don't know your religious background. I don't know why you're here, but I want you to know that our Lord Jesus wants fellowship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to, he wants you to give him opportunity to come into your life, forgive your sins, whatever that may be, and, and give a whole kind of grace to your life, okay? And they're going to put a prayer up on the screen. Maybe you're here today. You don't know, you know, uh, uh, maybe why you're here or whatever. I'm just telling you a simple prayer, but maybe God's been touching your heart. God's been dealing with your heart, you know. I'm just telling you a simple prayer, and God can begin to turn things around for you. Especially if you haven't been walking with Jesus and you're thinking about unforgiveness in your life, but the first place that we start is forgiveness of your is forgiveness of your own sins. It says, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. And I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. And I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Hey, that simple prayer, if you prayed it, if you said it, I'm telling you, you can walk out. You can walk out being a follower of Jesus in starting the wonderful change life that I talked about at the very beginning. If you're here this morning also, man, maybe you're struggling with a little unforgiveness. I want to pray over that this morning Then we're going to sing a song, okay? So, you know, are there certain names that still cause you anger? Are there still situations that you just feel like you haven't totally released? Let me say, you don't ever forget them. God just doesn't, you know, wipe out memories. But there's a, a work that God will do that the anger and the retaliation part can be gone, okay? And let me tell you, if you're still kind of walking in that, 
the Lord can help you today. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those today that have walked through traumatic times, they've gone through difficult situations, they've been hurt, abused, spoken to, Some, sometimes it's violence. Lord, they've had all kinds of different things and there are people here today who are struggling with letting go, having full forgiveness. Lord, they, 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 they think everything's okay and then in one moment it comes back. So Lord, this morning, I pray for the opportunity of reconciliation, first of all. I pray for the opportunity of reconciliation. Lord, uh, you don't want to just do silent forgiveness or single forgiveness. You want to win a brother, win a sister. So I pray for relationships that are uh, shattered and broken. I pray that there can be some Jesus-filled reconciliation. Lord, I pray, I pray. You didn't put Matthew 18 out there for any other reason than for believers to have a pathway uh, to reconcile. So I pray, God, I pray that you'll put that in people's hearts. Lord, I pray that they'll walk through, they'll walk through this and they'll win a brother or a sister back. I pray. I pray for reconciliation. I pray Matthew 18 walked out this morning. I pray. And God, you're speaking to people today. This is the path. Some of them are feeling that witness. This is the path. This is the path. I pray for others, Lord, who seem like it's an unresolved situation. They cannot do it. So, Lord, I pray. I pray for a healing grace. God, I pray. As Colossians says for us to rid ourselves from anger and malice and, 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 and bitterness in our heart. Lord, I pray, God, that you'll do a work of grace and anger and bitterness and hatred. Lord, it can just be gone because of your grace. I pray for a healing and forgiving grace on the people of God today. Lord, I pray. I pray. Some of them are, are asking you for a grace to forgive to release from anger, release from retaliation. And I pray over that today. I pray over that. Some of you pray, God, give me that healing grace. Give me that forgiving grace. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that we'll release, we'll move on. But Lord, it's a, God, a work of God that we can't do on our own. It's so deep. It's so deep. Would you, would you stand? Would you stand today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.